0: it It's been kind of a neat deal sometimes uh it at central um if if somebody goes into e r or i c u or something like that and you know it's a little bit more difficult to get back there to see 'em or or this kind of thing we kind of have a, a deal because you know what defines a pastor really and uh so you know there have been times when either elders or um uh, uh a b f people or student ministers or whatever have have been there before I get there and uh they've used that well I'm one of the ministers at Central pastor at Central and this kind of stuff and I've literally literally had it before where I show up and say, no I am a pastor at, at Central and and how many pastors do y'all have kind of thing but but you know that's what you want but you know if you say uh you know like Sean kind of alluded to if you say man I've tried everything here and it's just not happening." Well, please forgive us. We're trying everything we can, but we know and we know it's a two way street. You gotta want connection, but but uh we wanna put it out there for you. And like I say, Brett's gonna handle that over the next couple of couple of weeks as well. Uh today though, we're wrapping up this series called Hearing the Voice of God. And if you've been coming for the last several weeks, I'm gonna kinda walk you through it right quick and there's a reason that I really Prayerfully went before the Lord and had to wrap this thing up because I got to talk about a lot of things about hearing the voice of God and make it sound so mystical that we we don't get practical in in way we're going. But if you've been coming, you may remember in John chapter ten, it says Jesus is talking, calling his followers sheep, and he says, "My sheep hear my voice," and he's talking about his followers hear his voice, and so and he's making it so clear there that uh, that he does speak to us but yet man that just seems like god how can we understand how can we make that something tangible so that we can grab hold of so we talked about why he would even want to talk to us in the first place and, and I gave you three specific reasons why shepherd would would want to talk to his sheep anyway one was for protection he knew that he was the protector and they needed to be with him to for the protection number two was for encouragement and just building up and and nourishing and so god would speak uh, the shepherd would speak and god speaks to us for nourishment and and to encourage us and to build us up but then thirdly the the shepherd would speak to the sheep because he wanted them close to himself because he was their life and that's the way God is. He wants us close to Him. And that will make more sense even today as we kind of wrap this up. So we talked about why He would even want to speak. And then the next week, we talked about hindrances. What keep us from actually hearing from God? And we talked about our busyness. We talked about unconfessed sin. We talked about unforgiveness. We talked about not wanting to follow even if it did speak. And so we we talked about that a little bit and, and, uh, and how that, that uh, we had hindrances. And then we talked about, uh, we talked about, uh, last week, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago. Let me get this right. Disciple now was in there. We get this and I gave you a gift. I gave you a journal for you that were here. If you weren't here, sorry, we ran out of journals. Uh, they're really cool though, man. Uh, uh, but the journals, I gave those to you because I wanted to tell you how God speaks through his word and he will not go contrary to his word. And I gave you a little acrostic there, soap. Uh, you write down the scripture that God really highlights for you. You observe what, what's going on in there. You make application and then you pray it out. What is God saying to me? And we talked about that. And hopefully that's going with some of you. If not, pick it back up. Don't don't say, oh, that was a good try. No, keep going. Uh, I'd encourage you in that way. And then last week we talked about that God in his word seems to speak two different ways. One was what was called general orders, which was for everybody. And then there was special orders where God speaks directly to us, whether who we're to marry, where we go to have a career, uh, coming to Christ himself, the calling that he may have on our life. We talked about those special orders that he has there. And so today I just wanted to wrap it up and we're going to be in Psalm 32, Psalm 32. You can find that. And uh, we're going to be walking through this chapter and I'll give you the background of it in just a second. But let me let me kind of say this up front. You, you, you will hear God's voice almost in, in direction to how you see God. Now let me give you some examples so that that will make sense. If you see God as the architect, you're thinking there's got to be a God. Look at the complexity of the universe, the complexity of the galaxies, the complexity of humanity. We look at all of this complexity. There has to be an architect that set all of this in motion. But I'm not sure he's relatable. He just set everything in motion. If that's your view of God, then what's going to happen is is you're not going to find community with him because you see him a particular way. Here's another one that's that's out there. Um, We see him as a principal of a school. Now, we see principals in different ways. All I can do, do is come from my personal experience. And my personal experience was the only time I really communicated with the principal was when I needed to communicate with the principal. I was in trouble, and so I would go communicate with the principal. And so if we see God as the holy principle, that all he's doing, he's just there when we do something wrong. He's there to squash us and get on to us when we do something wrong. And so if we see God that way, who wants to commune when you're just thinking, oh, he's going to point out another flaw in me. He's just going to get on to me again. I know I'm screwed up already, but he's just going to remind me that I'm I'm that way. And so we if we see him as a principle... We will commune differently. Here's another one I thought about. If we see um, far, him as a foreigner, um, have you been in a conversation where everybody's speaking a different language than you? Uh, or they're communicating in Spanish or, or if you go down to Haiti, they're uh, Creole or whatever it may be. And they're communicating and you're there and all you speak is English. Man, they're communicating, but it's just not resonating in you. And sometimes we see God as a foreigner. Uh, I thought about this yesterday. It's not just foreign languages. I've been in conversations where I'm thinking, "Man, what did they say? I don't know what what they said." Uh Pam, yesterday, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink hot drinks. It's just not in me. Starbucks does not get much of my money uh, because of the. And I know someone, Mark. They have ice stuff. I don't care. I, I just don't drink coffee stuff and, and 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 that kind of thing. But Pam does. And so yesterday uh, we were going to be out and everything. And so went with my starbucks i said what do you want and, and listen i don't go to starbucks so i don't know the lingo and so she says i want a, a chai latte chai tea latte uh skinny extra hot grande and i had to do exactly what i just did i'm looking at my wife as i'm making i don't know what i said i don't know what was coming out but that guy knew exactly what I was saying. She got exactly what she wanted. And I was I'm thinking, man, if we see God that way, he's communicating, but I just don't I'm not on the wavelength here, man. I don't I don't know the lingo. And so we, we could get confused if we see him that way. A couple of other ways I thought about sometimes we may see God as as a old uh old great grandfather type that's just sitting in his rocking chair. He's really not relative to what I'm going through. He's just up there doing his thing and he, I'll go to heaven someday, but he does not, we're not on the same wavelength. And so we don't commune with him. We don't listen to him because we see him that way. Um, two more. Sovereign King. Now we read the scripture. Yes, Mark, he is sovereign King. Think about it though. Sovereign King, all knowing, all present. Uh, he's all powerful. There's nothing greater. He is the sovereign King, why in the world would he want to commune with me? And so what happens is, is that we create this distance because I'm not worthy to go before a sovereign king. One more, and I love this one because the scriptures help me out in this father. Now, granted, some of you know my story. My dad died when I was 15 months old. I never called him by dad or father my whole life. And so, uh, and so, father was distant to me until I became one. Now, but I did have to deal with some absent, absent wound stuff because I'm thinking if my earthly father's not here, even though he didn't choose, he died, he didn't choose to go. Uh, what, what's to say my heavenly father won't won't do the same thing? Not die, but but abandon. And so I thought about that a little bit. And so some some people, when I say father, you still don't connect with that. But some of you, I say, Father, and you say, okay, he loves me unconditionally. Yes, he's willing to guide me in the right path. He's willing to provide for me. I can handle that as Father. You see how we, how you see God will, will determine how you communicate with him. Now, in Psalm chapter 32, I, I really wanted to end with this in this series because I'm just thinking if we could grab this if we could just grab this, God, it would put us light years on to just knowing you, knowing God more. But here's the background. King David, if you know anything about King David, everybody knows a little bit about King David. King David, as a boy, killed Goliath the giant. He, uh, he went on to become king after Saul, and uh, he was considered a man after God's own heart. I mean, think about that throughout the course of history. He was a man after God's own heart. We know that out of David's lineage eventually is going to come a king who will establish his throne forever, who is going to be Jesus, and Jesus came out of the lineage of King David. But here's King David, the greatest, greatest king in all of Israel uh, was King David. Now, King David, though, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he allowed a flawed time to come into his life. What happened is, it said he was supposed to go to battle with his men. He chose not to go to battle. He stayed at the city of David. He's looking down. It's kind of interesting. If you're in Israel from the city of David, you can see exactly how you would see down that, that hill. And he's looking down there, and he can look on the rooftops of the city. There was a young lady by the name of Bathsheba, and uh, she's she's bathing. He lusts after her, brings her to himself. They have relationship, and she gets with child. She's married and so david decides to how do i fix this thing so he calls for her husband uriah to come in from fighting uriah comes to david and david says uriah you need a break why don't you go home with uh with your wife uriah who's a faithful soldier said no i'm going to stay here with the king while all my fellow soldiers are out there and david so plan number one doesn't work so plan number two david says is let me get him drunk so they go into this binge and they get drunk. And so he figures if Uriah gets drunk, he'll go home to be with his wife. Uriah, being a faithful soldier, uh, does, not, does not go. This is true story. I'm not making this up. I promise you. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, in the paper today. This was true stuff. And then uh, David figures, I don't know what to do with Uriah. So he has Uriah put on the very front lines of the battle, knowing that he would be killed. So the man after God's own heart all of a sudden has uh, lusted, committed adultery, uh, drunkenness and murder all on on David. David was so oblivious to even his relationship with God right now. You can imagine not communing talking about a hindrance. And uh, a guy by the name of Nathan, a prophet by the name of Nathan, comes to David and he uh, says, David, you are the man. He tells a story about a little lamb and this kind of stuff. But he says, you are the man. And all of a sudden, the conviction of all of this that uh, David had been walking under all of a sudden comes heavy upon him. He gets broken and contrived before the Lord. And Psalm 51 was his cry of of repentance before God. So that was his cry. Now, out of Psalm 51, the restoration, then we get Psalm 32, and and I love the Psalms because they're up and down in so many ways. Then we get Psalm 32 on the restoration of the communing with God, and I thought, this is where we need to go today. And if you hear anything that I say, it's this, the closer you get to God, the more you're going to hear his voice. And so I want us to look at this and let's just break it open a minute and you can take notes and uh, this will help you. But it says this in Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. Blessed, which means joy, pleasure, delight, bliss, basically, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. What David does in this psalm, in the first two verses, basically, he covers the whole psalm. This is what I'm going to cover. Blessed is the one who is totally forgiven because their life is now covered. They are now in order. And and that's what's so important. And and you look at what he says here. He says, blessed, joyful, pleasure, uh, ple- full of pleasure, delight is the one whose transgressions, the breach. You see what happens with sin, folks, is that we we have a breach between us and God. There's a brokenness. There is a distance that has come, not because of God, but because of our choice in what has happened. And this separation has come. In fact, Paul, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, uses this very passage here, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, to describe our separation from God. And so there's this separation that come, but, but David is saying, blessed is the one who is restored, now he begins to talk about how that restoration comes about. And this is what he says. He says, verses 3 and 4, he says this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. If you were to put a point number one, it would be this. Concealed sin creates chaos. Chaos. Concealed sin creates chaos. And that's what David is saying here. First of all, there was a silence between him and God. The silence there is actually a deafness. He he was not communing with God. God was not communing with him. And he said, literally, I wasted away. Now, what it, what it means is this. Uh, if you've ever broken an arm or leg, okay, and they put it in a cast, they put it in there for six to eight weeks for the bone to heal, and then they take it off, and you're... Calf or your arm or whatever has shrunk and shriveled. And you put them together and it's like, man, when did that happen? It happened what they call atrophy, right? It means that your muscle was not being used. Thus it shrunk and wasted and lost its effectiveness. What David is saying here is he said, when I was in this place of sinfulness, this separation from God, this covering up of this sin in my life, I became effective, less. I could not be used of God. I literally, I wasted away. I atrophied. I think we struggle with this a lot. Did you know it, it's harder to keep a secret than to tell the truth? And it's harder to cover sin in your life, thinking that nobody else knows, than to confess it and come out with it. Because it's, as David said, it's wasting away. It's making me waste away. I'm, and then he uses the term, I think this is great, he says groaning. That's literally the sound, the, the original word in the Hebrew was like a roaring lion. In other words, if you've ever been, if you've ever been out at night, um, I, I did a, a camp many, many, many years ago, and I was speaking at this camp, and they had a zoo as part of this camp. So in the night, you would hear a lion roar. I'm, I'm telling you, it would freak you out. And that's what that's what the picture is here. This groaning, this heaviness that was on me because I was carrying this sin, and it was a separation between me and God. And the more I concealed it, the more chaos came into my life. There are many people today that are not sitting here because of concealed sin. That It's created such chaos in their life. It's uh, it's created a distance and they don't want to be reminded of it. They don't even want to come and, and be there. But concealed sin creates chaos. Um, there's some great word pictures in there. He even says, when my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, that's the picture of moisture going to drought. And that's what happens when we conceal sin. But then there's verse five. It says, then, I'm glad that that then is there because this gives us hope. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He says, I acknowledged my sin. This is number two. Write this down. Confession means ownership. Confession means ownership. And what David said here, I acknowledged my sin. I didn't say my parents put an environment, culture in our home, and I sinned. Uh, my spouse acted a particular way, so I sinned. Uh, my flesh is just so weak, I sinned. He, he wasn't blaming it. He wasn't making excuses. He stood up and take ownership of his sin. You see, the problem, we're trying to defend ourselves so much instead of taking ownership And we can say, well, is that the fall of Adam and Eve? Man, I'm, I'm just broken because of them. Let's be honest. We make those choices. Yes, there's a fallen nature. I'm not denying that. But you gotta take ownership of that. And that's what David said. He took ownership of his sin. And it wasn't, he wasn't there bragging on it. You've heard certain testimonies where somebody gets up and starts talking about their past. They're almost bragging about it. And I'm thinking, whoa. Let's get to the redemptive part of this thing. And uh, David here is not bragging about his past. He's not bragging about Bathsheba. He's not bragging about Uriah. He's not bragging about all that stuff. What he's doing is he's humbly and contritely coming before a holy God and taking he's a, a, taking ownership of the sin of his life. We need to do that. We need to uh, understand that God comes... To carry it away, but he will not carry away that that we are not willing to fess up to. Uh, most of us love the verse that's in Psalm 103 verses 11 and 12. And you're thinking, what is that? It's this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he carried our transgressions. And, you know, the statement usually is, you know, north and south usually come back together. But east and west keep going separate from each other. But but here's the deal. He has carried that away. He's not holding it against you. And that's the struggle part is that we think, oh, if I confess it, he's just going to squash me and punish me. No, 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 no. He's waiting for you to release that so he can carry it away. Verses 6 and 7 says this. It says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Uh, Three, write this down. Cleansing brings singing. Cleansing brings singing. This is what David found out. He confesses. He takes ownership of what he has done before the Lord. The Lord has carried that away. And then he faithfully uh, communes. He prays out to God. And he says, while you may be found. And isn't it interesting that he says, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Listen, sometimes life happens. And if you don't deal with it, you, you find it. Oh, I just put it out. We reason it away. We reason it away. Reason it away. And we miss that opportunity to draw close to the Lord in brokenness. And so he is saying here that as you've come to this point, as the faithful, Let's pray to the Lord while he may be found. And then he says this, which is beautiful. He says, you are my hiding place. You are the place in which I go to. You are my covering. You are the one that's forgiveness is sure. You are the one that is covering me. And he says, you will protect me and surround me. Remember, I said the shepherd Wants to protect his sheep and he wants his sheep next to him. And that's what exactly what David is saying here in verse 7. He says, You protect me from trouble. In other words, you watch over me and you surround me. But how do you surround me? With songs of deliverance. It's hard to sing when you're concealing a hidden spot in your life. It's hard. It's hard to truly enter into worship. I think sometimes people come in and say, "Well, we sing too many songs," or or this kind of stuff. I think a lot of times that's just because we've we're trying to hide things in our lives. Because it says here that when when uh, when you surround me with songs of deliverance, think about it. Maybe you know I, I think sometimes, and, and I realize I'm kind of an active guy. If I if, if heaven is just sitting around singing all the time, I'm thinking, "Whoa." Uh, I don't know about that. Surely there's more to it than that. Uh But but I do understand this completely forgiven, completely redeemed. I have nothing but songs to sing to my deliverer as he sings over me. And so uh think about that, because cleansing will bring singing. And then verses eight through eleven, you can write this down. Counsel comes from the loving father. Counsel comes from the loving Father. You're with me so far. He was wasting away because of sin. He acknowledged it and found God was faithful, and he became his hiding place. And out of that, he received counsel from God. And this is what it says in verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Many of you remember back at our 25th anniversary Verse 8, I said, was going into these next 25 years. This is one of my prayers for us. And just to read it again, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. In other words, I will guide you and I will instruct you. And how will I do that? Now that we're in this loving relationship of cleansing, that uh, I, will, I, I will guide you with my eye. Now. Some of you are thinking, Mark, I don't completely know what that means. Yes, you do. For you that have had kids, uh, so say we go to a restaurant, okay? Uh, several families go to a restaurant. You've got your kids. They're, they're younger kids, okay? And, uh, you know, the kids kind of sit where they're sitting, and you know, everybody's at the table and this kind of stuff. And you look down there, and Junior is not doing what he was raised to do. He is, he is not doing well. He is acting out. He's, uh, he's hyperactive. We've all had it. Come on. And we look down there and we stare until Junior's eye makes contact with our eye. No words have to be said. Because of the relationship, he knows he better straighten up and fly right. Okay? If not, then you didn't teach your child well about eye contact. But he you you make that. Uh, why? Why does he understand that uh, somebody else's mom or dad could stare at him? No, no. It's because of relationship. He understands that guiding with the eyes. Uh, another one is that you go to a party uh, or a gathering or, or since it's Christian, we go to a fellowship. And uh, and what happens? It's couples. OK. Uh, and, uh, you know, most fellowships. Are like middle school dances. The guys go to one area, the girls go to another area. That's just the way it seems to be. But you're ready to go. You've uh, you've you've enjoyed it, but it's time to leave. And uh, especially if you have a babysitter and you have an extra hour to go, how can I get her attention to leave early? You know what I'm talking about. And so so what do you do? The girls are over there. You're over here. So I look over there to make eye contact with Pam whatever it may be, and uh, it means it means time to go. Now, she understands it. I don't have to go over there and, and, and just grab her and say, hey, you ready to go? I mean, she knows she, from the contact. Why is it? Because we have the closeness of relationship that we can communicate that way. Now, here's what I believe the Scripture is teaching here. I believe it's teaching that when we are willing to deal with those hidden areas of our life come clean before God, take ownership, and to receive his covering and his mercy and his grace, that we receive loving counsel from our Heavenly Father that is so intimate, he can guide us by his eyes. And you're saying, well, Mark, how do you look into the eyes of God? You just know it. You just know it. I mean, his spirit is leading you. It's, it's just like, you just know it. You, you just know from that closeness That God is is leading you and he said he said I want to lead you but I don't want to lead you like a mule or a horse and we're thinking well, what does that mean well a horse is just ready to go man he's just taking off and and I think what the Lord is getting across here is I don't want you running ahead of me I don't want to have to pull the bridle in to to make you slow down you need to come you need to come and you not be like the horse or be like the mule, you know the mule. I got to pull him along, pull him along. The Lord is saying, let me guide you with my eyes, so that we have close relationship. That we're just walking together. There, there's three quick things that I just want to leave you with, and I'll and I'll wrap this up because I, I want you to hear the so what's. You, you've heard of this. We broke apart a good chapter here, but but one number one thing that I want you to take away is this. The number one thing the Father wants to communicate. Is his love for you. The number one thing that the Father wants to communicate is his love for you. It's not that he can catch you doing wrong. He knows you're broken. He knows all things. He wants to communicate his love towards you. And that ultimate love was poured out through Jesus Christ. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to know what it's like to be forgiven. He wants you to know what it's like to be in right relationship with him. And so, and and notice what he said in verse 8, he said, loving I. In verse 10, he talked about his unfailing love surrounds you. Father wants to love you. He wants you to know that. Number two is this, is that the best place to be is close to the Father. The best place to be is close to the Father. Conviction conviction is just to bring you close to the Father. Joy comes as we walk close to the Father. Notice I did not say the safest place to be is close to the Father. I said the best place to be is close to the Father. Safe, we'd have to ask the people of Hebrews 11 forgiveness if we said it's the safest place. Because they gave their lives. But it's the best place to be. And then number three is this, and this is for you to discuss with your group, whoever you're connecting with, what are you hearing from the Father right now? I mean, what are you hearing from the Father right now? What, How is he communicating with you right now? Is there a hidden area? He's he, he urging you to confess. Is he wanting you to draw close? Is there some special order that he has given you? What, what, How is he speaking to you? What's he saying to you right now? Um, let me let me wrap it up with this Um, I was reading yesterday in Mark chapter 15 Gospel of Mark chapter 15 and uh, in there Jesus is hanging on the cross okay it's the end of his life earthly life and it says he bows his head dismisses his spirit and then the very next verse says this it says the curtain in the temple, holy place split from top to bottom. OK, and uh, if you don't know what that means, let me explain to you what that means right quick. The way the temple was set up, you had the outer courts that everybody came to. Then you had the, the area for sacrifices. Then you had what's called the holy place. And then you had the most holy place, the holy of holies only the high priest once a year could go into the holy of holies in there was the uh the ark of the covenant which had the ten commandments of moses it had uh aaron's bud and some manna with uh, aaron's budded rod and manna were there and then it had these cherubim wings over it angelic wings and right in there was what's called the mercy seat where the high priest once a year would take the sacrifice for all the sins of the people he would go through that huge curtain and he would put the blood in the mercy seat. And uh, and that's where God would commune, the presence of God would commune with the high priest. In fact, in the Old Testament, even further back with the tabernacle, it says that that is where Moses uh, heard the voice of God and communed with God right there. So what happened was once a year, high priest, holy holies. Jesus, when he died, the perfect sacrifice, it says the curtain split from top to bottom and split, that huge curtain for the holy place, most holy place, split in two. So what literally is happening here is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now the curtain is thrown back for all men to enter into communion with God. Okay? that That's what took place. And uh, But that's the good news. But as I started journaling, I thought about this. I thought, you still got to go in. I mean, we can talk about that curtain all day long. We can talk about what's happening in that room all day long. And we can do it from outside. And we—and this is the other thing. We can be content for somebody else to go in there for us. Mark, go into the holy place and, and tell us what God is saying. And God is saying, you get your tail in the holy place because it's open for you to come in. But yet, the temptation is to stay outside and tell others about what's going on inside instead of going in ourselves. Coach people to go in instead of pleading with others to join you inside. And as I was thinking about this time off that Pam and I are about to step into, um, yes, we're tired, we're fatigued. In fact, you know how things get haunting is that this weekend... Year ago, President's Day weekend is when my pulmonary embolism kicked in, and so you're thinking, "Golly, man, will it ever? The thoughts ever go away?" But, uh, but, uh, but our, my prayer is, and as you pray for us, that the Lord somehow we will not we will not tarry outside of the curtain, but we'll be willing to go in. So that we're not saying, hey, folks, y'all need to go in. But we're pleading with you to join us in. See the difference? And that's what I pray. God wants to commune with us because he loves us. Let's pray.